0: if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to finish out the Hallel uh, Psalms, so we're going to pick up in 116, 117, 118. I I am going to go out on a limb and guarantee we get three chapters done tonight. One of the helpful things about these three chapters is one of them is the shortest chapter in the Bible. So I should be okay. Next week we got the longest chapter in the Bible, and... uh, I don't make any promises next week. But this week, I think we're going to be good. So we're closing out the Hallels. Now remember, these are the the Psalms of Ascent. These are the Psalms as they would come into Jerusalem, they would sing on their journey on the way in. And uh, um, a variety of of praises, glorifying God for um, just who He is and what He has done and is accomplishing for us. So in Psalm 116... Look how he begins. He lays out, I love the Lord. And I love this because he gives us a couple of reasons. The psalmist does. He says, I love the Lord because. And he's, he's going to say, because he has heard my voice, because he has inclined his ear. So we get two things represented that he's saying, look, I love. So he's just laying out, look, this the, here's some things I love about the Lord. And he, he, he's writing a... a, a a psalm about the things he loves about him. The first thing he says, he hears me. He hears me. Now, here's our issue. Sometimes we, this is what we hear. We think, well, okay, if God hears me, that means he does what I want. Oh, that's not the same thing. That's not what hearing means. Hearing means God hears you. And one of the attributes of God and His omnipresence is that God is always with us. But isn't it amazing to you? I mean, I think it's kind of amazing that. Anywhere on earth a sinner is who repents and calls on the name of the Lord. Does God hear him? Yep, he hears that, man. You repent and call on the name of the Lord, he hears you. No matter where you are, no matter if you're in Russia, you're in Syria, you're in Buell, you're wherever you are, you call on the name of the Lord, he hears you. So the first thing he lays out, look, I love the Lord because he hears me. And he specifies what he's hearing. He, uh, he has heard my voice. And my supplication, and what that implies is not only the fact that God hears me, but that God knows me, right? Because He knows my voice. So my my, uh, I know my wife's voice. I uh, I won't say I can never be fooled. If her sister calls, I'm I'm in serious trouble. Her her the next sister up from her, she's got like I don't know how many, five, six, seven, four for sure. So he, he's he's got she's got. Um, Several sisters, the older ones, they can't fool me. But but Lori and Kathy, if you put a blindfold on and put them in the same room, I'm not sure you can tell them apart. So that I can be, I can be fooled. But for the most part, I get a phone call and it's Kathy. Well, two things give her away: her face comes up on my phone, which is usually a dead giveaway. But I recognize her voice. And what what the psalmist is saying: I love the Lord; that He hears me, but there's an implication of a personal relationship. He knows my voice. I, 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 when I talk to God, he knows my, my voice. He's heard my voice and my supplication. These are very personal. You with me? It's not the idea that universally he hears everyone. It's the idea that, no, he hears me. He knows my voice. When the Bible says that God knows the number of hairs on your head, it's not, it's not corporately all the hairs on, on earth. Although I'm sure he knows that as well. But it's personal. He knows you. He knows how many hairs on your head. He knows, the Bible says, he knows when every sparrow hits the ground and you are of much greater worth than the sparrow. So the Lord knows you. So he's saying, look, I love the Lord. (coughs) He's heard my voice and my supplications too. And he has inclined his ear to me. Now, inclining his ear to him, implies condescension it implies that god is leaning over that god is drawing near right so so every every step required uh save one god's taken he's he's right there all we have to do is turn our face right all we have to do is is look toward him it's all there so he's inclined he's drawn near me he's inclined he's Leaning his ear, that also implies he wants to hear from me. He wants to hear the things that I have to say and what I want to talk about. On Sunday, I shared, uh, I think it was Sunday, I shared a little bit about, about Joe. One of, the, one of my biggest struggles with my third son, who's autistic, when he was young, he didn't talk. And I wasn't sure I was ever going to hear my son say, I love you. Now, maybe that's not a big deal for everybody, but it was a big deal for me. I want to hear him say that. I want to engage I could be in the same room, and he could be busy going, you know, you guys have all seen Joe. He's pacing. Uh, And there's no, I mean, sometimes he'll stop and engage. Sometimes he don't. He just, in his world, he keeps going. And I thought, you know, maybe I'm never going to experience that. But one of the things God taught me as a result of my relationship with Joe was that a lot of times that's how I am to him. I'm busy in my world and in my life, and I'm doing my thing. And all the while God in heaven is saying, "I really wish that there would be this interaction between uh, Jackie, who I love and care about, and me, God wanting that interaction, not that God lacks something, but that God desires to to connect with with you and I that there would be that, <clears throat> that there would be that connection so he says he 's inclined he 's drawn near he 's bent over, he is open." to be able to receive from what God, uh, uh, or what we would call out to him. And so the, never, the one day that will go down in infamy is me sitting on the couch, Joe running over, jumping up on my lap. I didn't ask him, I didn't do nothing, Jump, just jump up on my lap and say, I love you, Dad. It was pretty cool. Now, my other kids did it a lot, I didn't really think that much of it. But when Joe did it, it was like, woo-hoo, you know, we've... we've uh, We've, we've crossed a milestone, right? Uh, i got to build a memorial stones and, and remember that moment. But what I also want to remember is God's looking for that for me too. To crawl up on His lap. Just to say, I love you. And that's why one of the reasons I love this psalm. Because He says, I love the Lord. Because He hears me. He knows my voice. He's inclined His ear. He's, he's, he is desiring to have uh, a relationship, to hear from me. So what's He saying? Therefore... I will call upon Him as long as I live. The psalmist is saying, I want to talk to God. I want to spend time talking to Him. One of the things that really sets Jesus Christ apart, think about it, uh, even the Son of God, who shares the same being as God, thought it important enough to get away in the mornings and evenings to pray. To to seek the Lord, to withdraw. If He gives us that example, how much more do we need it? How much more do we need to spend time just, just with our father, just, just uh, uh, talking to him? So he says, I'm going to call on him as long as I live. And then he gives a personal experience. Look at it. The pains of death surrounded me, and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. So the idea, basically, very poetic way of saying I was in trouble. I'm in serious trouble. What's he talking about? Well, he's saying, look, there are, there's death around me. That's bad, right? We can all recognize that as bad. And Sheol is just the Hebrew word for the grave. So, so things are really bad, it's really getting dark, it's looking like like I'm in serious trouble. In fact, he says, I found trouble and sorrow. Now one of the things I can pretty much guarantee all of us is that reality in life. Anybody want to argue that point? Trouble and sorrow are going to be a part of life. Just that's, It's a fallen world, it's a fallen place, that is going to be... A part of our life. But th- look what he does in verse four. Then I called on the name of the Lord. So he remembers, I love the Lord. Why? Because he hears me. He knows my voice. He's in- inclined his ear to me. He wants to hear from me. So I'm going to call on him. So when I'm in dark, when I'm in a scary place, when I'm afraid, when I'm struggling, I call on the Lord. I call on the name of the Lord. And what does he ask? Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. And again, that is something for everyone who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that God absolutely promises you. I can guarantee for you the Lord will deliver your soul. I cannot guarantee for you that God will heal you physically. I cannot guarantee that God's going to solve whatever problems you may be having, but I can guarantee He'll deliver your soul. I can guarantee that He'll save. I can guarantee... That there will be a moment in your life standing before your Lord and Savior when you will echo what Paul said when he said, you know what, this present trouble that I've been going through is not even worthy to be compared with the glory that is in Jesus Christ. With the glory which shall be revealed in me, the glory that we will have on that day when we're with Him, when God ultimately delivers our soul. Look, everybody gets healed. But some healings is God bringing you into His presence. Where there's no more sickness, no more sorrow, and no more pain. That's a healing. That's God doing an amazing thing, uh, delivering someone to him. So look what it says in verse 5. Okay, he says, I called on the Lord, and I'm asking God to deliver my soul. Then he's remembering the attributes of God. Verse 5 and 6, gracious is the Lord. So God's full of that. By the way, the Lord is capital L-O-R-D. We're talking about Yahweh. So Yahweh is full of grace. Can we all agree that God has grace? So we know we're all saved that way, right? For by grace we are saved through faith. So, so he, he is gracious. God has grace. Uh, gracious is the Lord and righteous. Can we all agree that God is righteous? Okay, then what that word is declaring, you just got to understand what that's saying. God is full of grace and God is always right. Right? God is full of grace, and God is always right. Now, we are oftentimes certain that God had to be wrong about something. Or God wasn't in control when said thing occurs in our life. But that's not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is God is full of grace, and God is always right. And because God is always right, He can give us a promise. Romans 8.28, right? We know that one? For we know, not we hope, not we think, He says, For we know how many things work together for good. Okay, this is a, one of the times, all means, and that's all that all means. So, he, this is one of those times, okay, all things, every single thing in your life, everything is, is bringing about uh, an, an excellent weight of glory in our life. It's for our good and His glory, everything. No matter how ugly it looks, that's a, how can God make that promise? Well, he can make that promise because he's always right. What he's doing, and we don't always know what he's doing. We think we, but the Bible is very clear, guys. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says we see through a glass, how? Darkly, dimly. So we can't quite see the whole picture. I think we can all agree with that, right? We don't see the whole picture, but who does? God does. And if God sees the whole picture... Then we can trust him. That's what he's saying. So he's gracious, full of grace. He's always right. What's the next one he tells us? Yes, our God is merciful. Aren't we thankful that God is merciful? God is merciful. So, and and so these are the attributes that he's focusing on. And there's lots of attributes when we talk about God, but these are the attributes that were really on the heart of the psalmist. Amen. You know, I'm I'm praying, I'm praying that God would deliver my soul. I'm I'm thankful, I love him, because he hears me. And so he's focused on the grace of God, the righteousness of God, and the mercy of God. What's he say in verse 6? The Lord preserves the simple. So just another poetic way to say that God gives grace to the humble. It's in direct relation or contradistinction to the arrogant or the proud. So so he's saying, Look, God preserves the simple, the humble. The humble, the picture of that whole thing, when I hear those words, the picture for me is just that man humbly kneeling before the Lord saying, I'm yours. So whatever you're going to do, do. Because, because I'm yours, no matter what. Till the wheels fall off, it's you and me. And so God says, I preserve that. He gives grace to the humble. Isn't that what the word declares? He gives grace. To the humble. And so, here he preserves the simple. Look, Listen to what he says. I was brought low, and he did what? Save me. He saved me. He's there. I was brought low. Does that mean, so what the, what the psalmist is telling us is, he's calling on the Lord to deliver his soul. Doesn't mean he's not going to hurt. Doesn't mean there's not going to be struggles. Doesn't mean there's not going to be difficulties. What it does mean is, though I'm brought low, he will save me. His hand is with me. What is it that Jesus promised us? No matter where we go, is there somewhere we can go to get away from Him? I saw Psalm 139, right, tells us, no matter where I go, if I make my bed in the grave, you're there. If I make my bed in the heavens, you are there. If I dwell in the deepest part of the sea, you are there. There's nowhere I can go to be away from you. How else did Jesus say that? He says at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, And lo, I am with you always, even where? To the end of the age, which is like saying I'm with you to the end of time. That's a long time, right? He also said, "I will never leave you or forsake you." Okay, so so God's here. His 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 presence is with us. He preserves us. He's there to save. So listen how how the psalmist reminds himself because sometimes we can let our brains take off, right? And 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 our brains start to interpret the things that are happening in our life as though those things that he just said aren't true. There's a lot of times in my, in my life that I was pretty uh, sincerely believed that God hated me, and that because of all the dumb stuff I'd done in my life, that's why all the, all the junk came into my life, because i have done a lot of bad stuff, I deserved it all, you know, poured on, God hates me, God hates me, God hates me, but the opposite is true. The opposite is true. God loves me, and so I have to remind myself. Look what he says in verse 7. Return to your rest, O my soul. So, so the opposite of that is when I start to lose my focus, what happens? I lose my rest. I lose my peace. I got anxiety. I got problems. I got worries. I, I'm afraid, right? But he says, I got to remember. I got to focus on the things I know about God. I love Him because He hears me. I love Him because He knows my voice. I love Him because His ears incline to me. Uh, he hears my, he's going to deliver me. He's going to save my soul. He's with me no matter how bad things get. So he says, return to the rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. What's he saying? God's been good to me. So we have this little thing we like to say, right? God is good. All the time. And all the time, God is good. That's true. It's true. God is good. He's been bountiful. He's dealt bountifully. He's given me an abundance. An abundance. So look what he says in verse 8. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from falling. Now he's speaking in the past tense. He's claiming, laying hold to the truth of these things being evident in his life. And I would say, just like Abraham, he was looking forward... To an ultimate fulfillment of these things taking place. What do I mean? Well, let's consider them all. So you have delivered my soul from death. Just hold your place and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we can see Paul telling us about the fulfillment of this, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, pick it up in verse 54. When this corruptible, that means this broken down old body, when this corruptible is put on incorruption, and mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass this saying. It is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? He says, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin was the law. But listen... Thanks be to God who gives us, what? Victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have victory over death. We have victory over death. How? Through our relationship with Jesus Christ. He has defeated death. Death's been defeated. We go back here and he says, you have delivered my soul from death. I want to tell you that the psalmist is realizing that these promises are so true and and, and so able to be claimed that he speaks of them in the past tense. You, it's, once you, God declared it, once God spoke it, it's as good as done. Has God's word ever been broken? Has God ever said something that didn't happen? So here's, here's what he's saying. He's saying, you have delivered my soul from death. Then he says, my eyes from tears. And there's a couple of places we can look for that. Uh, Psalm 3011, you have t- turned my mourning into dancing. It's like taking <clears throat> the sorrow and the pain of our life and, and being able to turn those things around for joy. In Jeremiah 31, <clears throat> Jeremiah 31 verse uh, uh, 13 and on, he says the same thing now, <clears throat> Jeremiah 13 we're talking about a really bad time in history people going into captivity but what is it that god's promising i'm going to turn your tears to joy i'm going to turn your tears to joy see that's why we can hold on to things like romans eight twenty eight. that's why we can hold on to those those uh Uh, uh, scriptures that can promise us that there's a purpose to pain. That pain's not random. That it's not just some event that God lost control of and, and oh, well, you know, those things happen and, and it's just a random collision of man's free will. I don't, I don't know that I, I don't know that I buy that because in reality, I think God's moving. God's working. And God makes promises to us. He says, there's a purpose in all this. And I can make you this promise. I'm gonna take your tears. And I'm going to put them away. What does the Bible tell us in Revelation? Ultimately one day is going to happen. When we stand before Almighty God, what's He say? I'm going to wipe the tears from your eyes. That implies, and He doesn't just say, I'm going to wipe away your tears. What's He say? You'll never cry again. That's a check you can cash. That's money in the bank. Money in the bank. Jeremiah 31 13 he says then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance and the young men and the old together for i will turn their mourning their crying to joy i will comfort them and i will make them rejoice rather than sorrow so the psalmist writes it as though it's done it's finished god promised it it's going to happen I may not experience it here physically in this life. This life may be full of tears, but when I stand before God, He wipes them away, and there'll never be another tear shed. So we can take that to the bank. That's that's like I said. That's that's real. We can hold on to it, and then you uh, keep my feet from falling. If you look in uh, in Jude, Jude, nice little book, easy to find. It's uh, it's right before Revelation. It's like a page, though, so it's easy to go past it. <clears throat> so, so far, I've gone past it three times. Eventually, I'm going to get there. Jude 24, one of my favorite benedictions. Listen to what he says. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. Isn't that an incredible promise to hold on to? Now, who's he talking about? He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. So now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. And what's he do? And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So when we're presented, when we stand before Almighty God, we're not standing in our righteousness. Whose are we standing in? Jesus' righteousness. So he can present us, how? Faultless. With exceeding joy. He's happy to do it. He's happy to do it. To God our Savior who alone is wise. Be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. So think about what the psalmist said. You delivered delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from falling. So what's his response? I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. He says, because you have done these things... I love you because you hear me. You hear my cry. And your promises, the promises of God's word, declare to us we are delivered from death. He will deliver us from our weeping, our tears, our mourning, and our feet from falling. He says, so I'm going to walk with the Lord in the land of the living. Because these are true. I'm walking with God. Look what he says in 10. So I believed, therefore I spoke. What did he believe? I am greatly afflicted. See, he got his eyes onto his troubles. And when he got his eyes on his troubles, his troubles get too big. And so he says, I'm greatly afflicted. And I said in my haste, all men are liars. But then he turns his attitude. Look at verse 12. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? See, so he said, when I lose, lose a grip on the promises of God, <coughs> I lose my ability to hold on to all the good. And and so I start talking in these negative terms. Everything's bad. My life sucks. Uh, everybody's a liar. You know, all these things, are. that's what starts to come out of me. But then in verse 12, he says, but listen, I'm going to change my attitude. What will I give? What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I'm going to give him a, an offering, a thanksgiving offering. So I will take the cup of salvation. That's a, That's a story of giving a drink offering. Greatest example of that is David pouring out a drink offering before the Lord. He, he just happens to mention in the hearing of the mighty men of David, a story I love. He says, man, I really wish I could have a drink of water from Bethlehem. No, they're not in Bethlehem. They're a long ways from Bethlehem. But these mighty men, they're like, look, our king wants a drink of water from Bethlehem. Let's go get it. Well, between them and Bethlehem were all the Philistine army. So this handful of guys, what do they do? They fight their way all the way to Bethlehem. To get a glass of water. And then they fight their way all the way back to David. And David, that that glass of water is precious, right? That's the blood of his friends. His friends bled and fought to give him that glass of water. And so it becomes this incredibly precious thing. And so David takes the most precious thing he has and he gives it to God. I pour it out, a drink offering. The cup of salvation. The cup of salvation poured out for us. What's the picture of the cup of salvation for us? A blood of Jesus Christ, right? Did he shed that for himself? Who did he do it for? You and I, just like, just like David. Did he drink that cup? Nope. Who did he give it to? He poured it out before the Lord. It becomes that example, the cup of salvation. So he said, I'm going I'm to give him thanks. I'm going to give him the cup of salvation. And I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord. Again, this idea being worked through. I will pay my vows. I'm going to keep my promises. Now, in the presence of all his people. So he says, I'm going to make... You know how when we're in trouble and we call on the name of the Lord, we do that thing? Lord, I promise I'll... If only you'll... I'll... So he says, I'm going to keep my vows. I mean, those were serious things to them. The things that they promised God. And he says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O oh Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your servant. You have loosed my bonds. You have set me free. So he goes back to the chorus again. I will offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And I will call on the name of the Lord. And I will pay my vows to the Lord. Now in the presence of all his people. And then in the courts of the Lord's house. In the midst of of you, O Jerusalem. And how do you say those last three words? You remember? Hallelujah. 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 Praise the Lord. Hebrew for praise the Lord. Now we move on to Psalm 117. and The next Hallel Psalm. It begins with that same phrase. What was that phrase again? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord all you... Whoa, what's that word? Gentiles? Are you kidding me? I thought it was a Jewish book. Yeah, what are they calling? They're calling all the nations to praise. What does the Bible tell us is going to happen? One day, how many knees are going to bow? So every knee will bow and every tongue will do what? Confess what? Jesus Christ is Lord. So they're singing in this psalm, hey, praise, praise him, all you nations, because you're gonna. You're gonna. There's only, everybody's gonna bow the knee and praise the name of Jesus Christ. You have time now to choose that for yourself. Or you can wait till it's chose for you, but it will happen. One brings salvation, the other damnation, but it's going to happen. It's going to occur. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him. Give your praises, all you peoples. Why? For his merciful kindness is great toward us. Is God merciful toward the whole world? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Is God merciful toward the whole world? Sure he is. Has he provided an opportunity for the whole world? Sure he has. He's provided that opportunity. And then look what it says. And the truth of the Lord endures forever. Now what does that mean? Well, there's two things that we know that the Bible declares is true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? So Jesus Christ is the truth. But it's interesting because in the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation declares to us that... uh, not only is Jesus the truth, but he's also called the word of God. So on his thigh is written the word, the word of God, the word of God. And then we look at John 17:17, 17, 17. Jesus saying in his high priestly prayer, he's praying for you and I, praying for those who are going to believe in the in the in the word of the disciples. He says to to his father, "Sanctify them in truth." And then he says, Thy word is truth. Jesus Christ is the truth. He's also God the word, right? John 1.1, 1, 1, In the beginning was the word, word was with God, the word was God. Jesus Christ, God the word. The book of Revelation declares him to be the word of God. And what does he say? Thy word is truth. Well, it kind of makes sense all the way through. <clears throat> Your word is true forever. Is there ever a time God's word is not true? What if God's word disagrees with me? Yeah, it's true, right? We all know who the knucklehead is, if there's a difference. It's important for us to understand, that's the found, this is the foundational authority for the life of a believer. You throw this out, you no longer have uh, Christianity. You can't have it without. The Word of God is foundational. It's like saying you can be a Christian without Jesus. No, you can't. You cannot be a Christian without the Word, because Jesus Christ is God the Word. His Word is truth. Jesus said, not one jot or tittle will pass away until all these things are fulfilled. So we can know that the word of God is going to be fulfilled just the way he gave it. That's just the way we got it. So we can say, look, Jesus said none of it would pass away. I can hold on to it all. The truth of the Lord endures forever. And then he ends with the phrase, hallelujah. You guys got this, man. By the time we're done, you're going to be Hebrew scholars. Then we get to Psalm 118. Look, I told you, I I almost have like three minutes left. I'm sure we're going to be able to pull it off. Okay, so he says, he begins, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? He is good. What specifically is he good? What attribute are they praising? His mercy. His mercy endures how long? Forever. That's a long time to be merciful, right? Aren't you thankful that God's mercy endures forever for you and I? That's good news, right? Is there ever a time when you uh, didn't deserve mercy? Yeah, yeah. so uh, then we're happy that He's merciful forever. <clears throat> he says, now we're going we're to recognize these phrases from an earlier Hallel Psalm. Let Israel now say, <clears throat> His mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say, His mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His mercy endures forever. That's a poetic way for them to talk about the entire nation. The nation of Israel, all of us, the entire priesthood, and everyone who fears the Lord. That covers it all. Everybody, everybody who has a relationship with God. So he says in verse 5, I called on the Lord, Yahweh, in distress. Similar to the earlier psalm. And the Lord, look, look how personal this is. The Lord answered me. And set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It's all very personal. I called on the Lord and he's there for me. He's going to guide me. He's going to direct me. Does it mean we don't ever go through hard times? No, that's not what he's saying. But he is saying God is with me. What can man do to me? What's the worst thing man can do to you? He'd kill you. Well, what did he just do when he killed you? Give you a one-way ticket straight to the presence of Jesus Christ, where death has been defeated, where your tears are wiped away, and where your feet are kept from falling. So where's the downside there? So the worst thing man can do is the best thing for you. That's nothing to be afraid of, is it? That's his point. I don't have to be afraid. Look what he says in verse 8. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Yes or no? Absolutely. It's better to put our trust in God than our confidence in man. What's the, what's the first thing you learn out about man? Uh, there is not a man on the face of the earth that will not let you down. There's not one who will not let you down. Put your trust in God. God will not let us down. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in princes. Now, I'll make application here, but you might not like it. There's not going to be some political leader who's going to come on the scene and deliver you. You're delivered by the Lord God Almighty. We already have a Messiah. His name's Jesus Christ. I'm not saying don't be involved in the political system. If you know me at all, you know that ain't true. Vote, be involved, be engaged. All those things are true. But I don't hold out some kind of hope that some man has the answer to our solutions. The answer to our solution is to bow the knee before Almighty God and see our nation repent repent and watch things turn around. But short of that, things aren't going to change. So we got to be busy preaching that attitude, preaching repentance. Preaching repentance. It's better to put your trust in the Lord. Put our trust in the Lord. He knows what He's doing. He knows what He's accomplishing. And stay engaged Now listen to the the hopeless situation he describes. All the nations surrounded me. That's pretty bad, right? But in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me. But in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They surrounded me like bees. You ever been surrounded by bees? Oh, you want to watch Jason dance a jig? Just throw a wasp nest at him. Uh, He will lose his ever-loving mind. He can stand in front of a grizzly bear and wrestle him. But you put a bunch of bees around him and he will run away screaming like you had never seen. Yeah, you'll do whatever. Get away. I'm telling you. So this guy, he says, I was surrounded by bees. But they were quenched like a fire of thorns. In the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. So no matter what situation we're in, are we able to overcome with the Lord with us? That's right, I'm able to overcome. I'm able able to overcome. Keep in mind, overcoming in the name of the Lord does not always mean deliverance. Overcoming means being able to make the stand you need to make to bring glory to Him. Whatever that is. Sometimes that's deliverance, right? Peter walked right out of a prison. That was God's purpose and plan, right? Absolute deliverance. But John's going to tell Smyrna... Be faithful unto death, and, and God will give you the crown of life. So, for the Smyrnans, there was not deliverance. There was just walk the walk. Be faithful. You're going to go see the Lord. <clears throat> that's God's purpose and plan. But <clears throat> when they go see the Lord, where is he going? Where death has been conquered. Where is he going? Where tears have been uh, abolished. Where is he going? Where feet will never fail. No downside there. That's not the downside, that's a victory. So that's what he's declaring. You pushed me violently that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. God was with me. So the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Here's another way to understand that the Lord is my strength, my power, and my song, which is my praise or my joy, and he has become my salvation or my victory. My victory is in Jesus Christ, not in Jackie Lloyd. There's nothing I can do. It's what Jesus has done. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. So when we have that relationship with God, no matter we're surrounded by the enemy all around, we can rejoice. Why? What's the worst they can do? Send us to Jesus? Wow, ruin my day. Ruin my day. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. What's he telling us? We can communally praise God. Why? Because he knows what he's doing. God's going to do right. God's going to do right, and we can trust him. So what's he saying in verse 17? So I shall not die, but live, and declare the works of the Lord. So I'm... As long, what did Paul say? Like this: For me, to to uh, live is Christ, but to die is gain. So as long as I'm alive, what do he say? I'm gonna talk about Jesus Christ. I'm gonna preach him to the grave, and when I die, I'm gonna praise him to his face. And that those are my two. Those are my two categories. I'm one or the other. One or the other. So I'm gonna. I will not die. I'm gonna declare the works of the Lord. For the Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Anybody ever been corrected by God? Yeah. God says, those whom a father loves, he disciplines promptly. So, you get caught, God chastens you, God deals with you on issues and sin. That's not God hating you, that's God loving you. That's what the word of God declares. God loves you, he will chasten you. But not to destroy you, what's he chasing you for? To correct this. What, what does a shepherd do if a sheep's heading the wrong way, running toward a wolf? Is he just going to let him go? He's going to correct him, right? He got that crook for a reason. Slip that thing around a neck, go think, and that sheep going to turn around. Oh, sorry, I was going toward a wolf. Thanks. Yeah, that's the correction of the shepherd. <clears throat> Not to kill us, but to give us life. And then look at verse 19. So open to me the gates of righteousness. That's a picture, a Hebrew picture of the presence of God. So it's like I'm saying, the the psalmist saying, look, he he chased me, he changed my direction, so open for me the gates of righteousness. I want to be where you are. I want to be in the presence of God. And I will go through them, and I will praise the Lord. For this is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. Now, the righteous all enter. The only people that come into the presence of God are the righteous. But whose righteousness are they coming into the presence of God with? Yeah, for he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become what? The righteousness of God. We have his. That's how we get in. Not because we have ours. Because I guarantee you, if you're honest with yourself, you're not righteous. You know the thoughts that float around in your head, and you know the actions that you do. You can you can paint whatever picture you want out here for people to see, but the reality is, hey... I need the righteousness of God in my life, which is a gift from Jesus Christ, my Lord, through faith that he gives unto me. I need the righteous. Only the righteous shall enter. So I will praise you, for you have answered me, and you have become my salvation. And then look at these prophetic verses. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. So the first time Jesus came, what do they do? He came to his own, and his own received him not. He's rejected. He's rejected. But he has become the chief of the corner. Now, who's, who, who did that? Was that wicked men who were messed up? Well, the book of Acts would argue that that's not the case. The book of Acts would say it was God's foreordained purpose. What's it say right here in verse 23? This was Yahweh's doing. God did that. That was God's purpose god's plan god's way and it is marvelous in our eyes so this is the day the lord has made this is the day the lord has made and we will rejoice in it and be glad and i'm gonna say i'm gonna teach you another hebrew word you see the phrase in verse 25 two well, first two words save now how you say that in hebrew hosanna you guys are sang it a couple hundred times right All the time, Easter time, different times of the year, we sing songs, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, right? So, what's that mean? Save now. Save now, I pray. Oh Lord, oh Lord, I pray, send now. Prosperity. He's not asking for gold and silver. What's he asking for? Favor. Give me favor. Give me favor. Give me good success. For blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see, your Bible may have a little star there. Why? because that's a prophetic verse spoken of by Matthew pointing to the coming of Messiah. What is it that they said to Jesus when he was walking into Jerusalem? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What did the Pharisees and the scribes say? Hey, tell them people to shut up. They shouldn't be saying that. What do they care? Oh, that's a proclamation of Messiah. They're calling you Messiah. You need to straighten them out. Remember what Jesus said? No. If I told them to be quiet, what would happen? The rocks would cry out. First rock concert on the face of the earth, right? I kind of wonder, I kind of wish, you know, maybe we'd have got the chance. Well, we still may get to see all that, right? We still may get to see the rocks cry out for the return of the Lord. <clears throat> so blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. For God is the Lord, and he has given us light. So bind the sacrifice with cords on the horns of the altar. is that interesting things to put together? God is Yahweh and He has given us light. Jesus said as He stood before the people, I am what? The light of the world. He who comes to me does not have to walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus Christ, that offering, and where was He bound with cords? To the horns of the altar. What was the altar? The cross, right? Bound to the cross. He's bound to the cross because that was the place where the sacrifice was going to be given. So you are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Same way we started. For He is good. How long does His mercy last? Mercy. His mercy endures forever. Look, God is always with us, always able to deliver doing the perfect work so we look at psalm 118 and he just lays out in that in that last psalm this pretty beautiful picture of of jesus christ as messiah fulfilling the sacrifice of god working righteousness bringing mercy for the goodness of god evident in the in the the broken body and the shed blood of our savior amen why don't you stand with me let's pray